Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Morpheus to my Neo. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm just hanging out with these two identical cats and zero spoons. I, I just made you, uh, Morpheus, because you always offer me pills. It's super weird. And our very <laughs> own Trinity. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? Loved by millions. Disliked by myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, um, big big week as Seahawks land as the the uh, voluntary portion of training camp continues, and the Seahawks uh, most players are there. It seems like it seems like there's only a few guys missing. Uh, I think uh, Ursua hurt his knee. Pierre Olivier has a hernia. Marquise Blair. <laughs> Pete Carroll said this. This is what Mar- he said about Marquise Blair. We're just protecting him. He's got a lot of stuff done. <laughs> <laughs> What a what? Pete thing! What a Pete thing! Wait, to say. so is he gonna come back like like the six million dollar man? He's got like a completely different face. He's got like hair trans. It's gonna be the, the nine hundred twenty three million dollar a year man, <laughs> dude. He's uh he's he's got a lot. Of, it just got some stuff. He's got a thing. Uh, okay, uh, he got a French door installed. A couple obvious guys aren't there. Alden Smith is working out on his own, but contacting the team. Seahawks are keeping him at like a you know away from the team just in case things go bad with his legal troubles. Uh, yep, that's Wait, pretty... really important note. Did he say he's got a lot of stuff or a thing? Um, he just said he was working out on his own. That's really stuff is lawsuits for Alden Smith. <clears throat> well, because because stuff is fine, but if he said anything about someone having a thing, then it's career threatening. We all know that. That's in Seahawks lore. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's start off with this though. Uh, not the guys who are there and not there and all that stuff. I want to talk about Shane Waldron. I always want to lead with this because I think it is the the kind of key to unlocking the Seahawks season. Right, we're gonna go as far as the improvements to the, the offense through Shane Waldron. Shane Waldron is our big addition on offense, right? Not not Dwayne Eskridge, not Gabe Jack. They can say it's these other guys, Jackson, Eskridge, but it's really Shane Waldron is the is the biggest offseason acquisition the Seahawks made. And, yeah, I saw and a his, relevant article to this. Yeah, I heard that it. he's in the best shape of his life. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> so the first thing Pete says in his press conference, uh, I think this was today's. Yeah, it was today's. I wrote notes down. Okay. He said he's keeping out of the Waldron's way and letting him do his thing. The Waldron. I don't, okay. want, I don't want a single other quote from Pete Carroll about but Waldron. Then, okay, but then after that, he said. I just said I didn't want one. He said Waldron's got a big playbook, and it's not about how many things we can do. It's how many things we can do well. Which is like a contradiction, like a which is a contradiction to the previous statement, which is like, I'm going to let him do whatever he wants. Just kidding. Uh, we only can do the things that we do well. I don't know. Turns uh, out we only have time for the run install. This team, <laughs> this team will go as far as, no. as, Stop it, Kevin. <laughs> as we can get Pete Carroll to just stop. You know what I mean? That's that's how much it's going to go. So I'm really I'm nervous. Shane about... Waldron's back there shrinking fonts and playing with margin sizes. The playbook's not that big, Pete. It's not yeah, that big. It's it's a. Uh, I think the first quote is what Pete needs to do. He needs to stay out of Waldron's way. It, this team, this we have the offensive tools to be the best offense in the league. Let let him fly, man. Let him spread his wings. Okay, he's a bird. Let let him fly free. I wonder if that's part of the Russ conversation. The everything is okay now. Um, if that's what part of the Russ's demands, quit meddling in the offense. I just want to say I caught your other guy's reference and I appreciated it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I spread um, my wings to fly, baby. Uh, so the other thing that I'll have to say is of all the tools on offense, the only one I'm worried about is uh, the tool that is interference, Pete. 
because if he chooses to be that tool, then everything else is sunk. I'm going to have faith that that's not the case because in this podcast, we root for fun and a fun season is one in which we get to see what the offense can do. And a not fun season is one in which, uh, you know, Pete submarines his own process. Um, he's a successful coach. He's an intelligent coach, except for when it comes to certain things. And this is one where I hope he chooses to like, so we normally get frustrated because he puts too much faith in his assistant coaches and gives them like too much time or too much ground. I, rope. I, I would love if he gave unlimited rope to Waldron on this one. You know, if, if we could put that much faith into somebody who hasn't orchestrated <laughs> a top tier defense, if we could put that much faith into somebody who repeatedly this... failed to put together a top half of the NFL offensive line, let's go ahead and give this dude some rope. Yeah, I, it's kidding. what's weird to me is that it seems like he gives so much leeway except for when it comes to like offensive play calling where he has this like, you know, rule of 52 or whatever. He's got all this dumb stuff that he wants to do that doesn't that he says helps us win. But I, I think is it's holding back our ceiling. It's giving us a really high floor. This, the Seahawks aren't going to be bad, right? They're pretty much a, a lock for 10 plus wins season to season. But like the sky is the limit and. I'd like to see them take a, a little bit of more risks to try to hit that ceiling because banners fly forever. And I'm not talking about NFC West championship banners. I'm, you know, I'm talking about the good ones. I want, I want the Super Bowl or the NFC champion banners. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to see him. Let, let, let Waldron do his thing. Uh, the let other thing Waldron W cooking word, uh, let Waldron whisk. <laughs> so, so, uh, yeah, the other, all the other stuff in this press conference was about like, there's two other things he talked about. He talked about vaccinations a lot, like a significant amount, you know, seven, 70% of the team will be vaccinated. Every coach is already vaccinated. So that's good from a football perspective because the protocol rules are very forgiving to, to anyone who has already been vaccinated. So, yep. and I, you don't want to lose players to, to preventable things. This seems like a pretty big, pre- pretty preventable thing to lose players to. The other thing is linebacker. He talked about linebacker quite a bit, said Darrell Taylor is best prepared player coming back. He's standing out, especially off the ball in space. And so he's getting the full Bruce Irvin treatment. Um, also says, expect to see a lot of Cody Barton and Ben Burkirvin in the preseason. So, is Darrell Taylor the thir- the third linebacker now, or is Cody Barton? Is that Cody Barton's job, Eric? What do you think? It's Cody Barton's job. Uh, it is his job to lose, but I think the main reason why they're not going after KJ is not just money, but they gotta they gotta see what they have in Cody Barton. If they don't, then what's the point of having him at all? You know, they spent spent a pretty significant draft pick on an off ball linebacker to just not use him would be yep. kind of crazy. It's now is the time. So. I I, I kind of want to talk about that this week that I I don't see there's any way we bring KJ back because of that. I, th- I thought about that a lot, which means they're going to sign KJ tomorrow. They keep saying that. Door, <laughs> they keep saying that door is not closed, right? They keep saying it, but that's what I was. So I was, I they was keep reading up on Sherm too. Well, I was reading up on, you know, watching the Seahawks press conferences and, and reading up on, you know, what was said over the last week. And I was like, you know what? I'm going hard on the stance. I love KJ, but. I don't see him coming back unless it's like for just a sweetheart deal in a bench role, you know, rotational, but uh, they got to see what they have in Cody until they decide they hate Cody. And then welcome back. KJ, right? Yeah. What do you think, Kevin? I think Bart Bartner Taylor, who has the inside track on uh, that third linebacker job. 
I think Taylor, because I think the way that we're going to use that position is going to be a little different. We're going to have 3-4 versatility off that position, and it's going to be like a Bruce Irvin role, but a more pass rush thing. So it's going to be more like running a 4-2 front and nickel front and having uh, Taylor drop in coverage. Exactly. Have Taylor either drop in coverage or be a linebacker. So he's kind of a a versatile. It's going to be more like a 3-4 situation or 3-3-5 situation with uh, Taylor being either a pass rusher or a um, or covering, depending, which is a role that he played a lot in college and something I think he's very capable of doing. I think he's better as a pass rusher, but he can definitely go into coverage and not embarrass himself. Okay, uh, Robert Kimdiche has been a big story out of training camp. Uh, he's been apparently playing really well and doing well in the drills. Uh, Corbin Smith asked him if his preference was playing defensive tackle or defensive end. And uh, Kim DJ said, wherever they need me, I can play. And uh, he said he thinks it's his last chance, but it's the only one he'll need. Uh, so Pete Carroll loves a redemption story, right? Uh, <clears throat> Kevin, I know that you uh, scouted Kim DJ in the draft. Do you think that there's a chance here that this is the like the that redemption arc that Pete Carroll loves so much? Yeah, I think it's entirely possible. He's a top level, like he's physically talented enough to be able to stick as a starter at the NFL level. So the question is, you know, is he capable of doing the other stuff? Is he capable of learning how to play in an NFL scheme um, instead of just being physically dominant like he was at Ole Miss? Uh, Is he capable of kind of getting himself together off the field? Which I know there's word from Arizona that that was maybe one of the problems um, as far as doing what needs to be done in order to stay in shape, in order to... uh, you know, know his responsibilities backwards and forwards. And so I could see him coming back and kind of having been humbled by the experience of nearly flaming out of the league and be ready to do those little things that are going to allow him to stick on an NFL roster. And if so, that's a big pickup. And for a DT, uh, he was 6'3", 294 coming out of college, which is pr- pretty small, you know, 50th percentile height, 21st percentile weight. But these are his percentile ranks for everything else. Hand size, 93rd. 10-yard split, 89th, 40-yard dash, 92nd, vertical jump, 97th, broad jump, 96th. Like, this guy is a, a freaky burst athlete. and uh, Should be yeah. a capable pass rushing three-tech with those types of stats. Correct. So, like, he, oh. he could be a really important piece that we could bring in to kind of play next to. Because right now, the biggest problem I see with our roster construction is that there is nothing past Puna Ford, and I don't want Puna to have to play, like, 70 snaps, right? That's just too much. So yeah, there, there's um, it'd be nice if like Kim Dice could come in, be really effective, and give us a give us a way to kind of you know build that rotation out. Yeah, because Puna is like a quality starter, and Monet we know can soak up some good snaps. Same with so Al having Woods. another Al guy is like yeah. a useful NFL player. Plus, Eric loves Al Woods. Though right? I would love it if uh, Kim Dice can come in and take Al Woods' job from him. That would be a really good sign for our roster always compete right so um the last seahawks related story i have before we hit the uh our big topic for today um you guys ready oh yeah and bob condota agrees with you by the way eric that it's the sat the situation about uh with uh with linebacker isn't about money or cap space and kj right it's about they want to hand over those jobs to brooks and taylor and and barton and that have those three guys compete for those two spots yeah and i think i i just think brooks is in 
but but so. uh any anyway the the last the last thing is of course will disley said he's broke his leg a lot of times he's tore his achilles uh and now he has <laughs> he re he, he has relearned <laughs> he relearned how to run that's what he said Woo! he said through my rehab i've relearned how to run eric do you see a cooper cup level of speed gain from this uh for will disley relearning how to run is it that level of relearning how to run this is this is the perfect question to ask me because to answer you seriously no to answer you in a fun way as kevin said we like to have fun uh absolutely i mean this guy's he's gonna tear it up finally the all pro we thought he'd be it's funny i've been going to the gym a lot because i'm sick of being a fat ass from 2020 and some bad decisions in the last couple of years and uh, i realized that i have like this this thing my right foot goes out a little more and i'm i'm having like these cramping issues so i have a an appointment coming up with a with a physical therapist to fix that so i'm going to i'm going to be on the inside track guys telling you everything that will disley did and how it, what it's like to relearn how to walk. This is amazing. I, I'm so proud of Will Disley. And by proud, I mean, man, just don't get hurt. Just he's such a talent. And I I really love Will Disley. I really wish we could have had healthy Will Disley for the past three years. Amazing, amazing things could have happened to this team. All right. And I want us all to be on a corner here. This isn't a full topic, just a prediction so that everyone knows exactly where we stand. Okay. I want you to say... What do you think the terms of the of the Jamal Adams contract will be? So, what do you what is your prediction for terms uh, for the Jamal Adams deal? Because it, it's obvious that they're working on an extension with him, right? Yeah. So, so what what do you think the the terms of that deal will be? Uh, the highest paid safety in the league right now makes about sixteen million dollars, so probably going to be more than that. So, Kevin, start us off. What's your Jamal Adams contract prediction? Okay, so I think he's going to end up with, um, I think it's going to be the high total dollar amount is the one that they're going to be able to kind of hang it on. So I'm going to go five years and we'll go with five. Whoa. Yeah. And we'll go with, uh, but it's going to bring down kind of the average a little bit for that reason. Void year. Could be. It's going to be five. It's like going to be like almost nothing guaranteed the last year. So it's going to be five years and we'll go with um, an average of 16 and a half. Okay. I'm going. You ready for this, guys? 469. Ah, nice. Uh, nice. But that that is uh, that's more than Kevin. Uh, it's between 17 and 18 million. And I, I just think that it's uh, 17 and a quarter. But I just really think that he's going to go over 17 and I might even go over 18 and it sucks because that's too much money, <laughs> but, but he's really good at football. So it's uh, it's just like I said, like the Dixon contract, there are years that contracts goofy looking because like, you don't want to pay a punter $4 million, $5 well, the, million. The max safety contract is at 15 a year, 16. And I think it's 16. I think it's I'm 15 not... to five. Yeah, average. Okay, yeah. He's going to make course. over 16 this year, but it's 15 to five average of the life of contract. I believe I'm for just... Simmons. I'm uh so highest oh, I don't want that no, Simmons yeah 15 and a quarter yeah that's I I, I went two, I went 2 million it. AAV over that I yeah. I could see them going with like medium guarantees though you know only like 30 35 practical guarantees you know so the AAV is more but the guarantees are lower than or the same as Simmons kind of thing 
So, all right. Well, that's, I think that's a really interesting place that, that the Seahawks are going to have to go and they're going to have to figure out and you don't trade two first rounders guys to not resign them. That would be pretty, uh, pretty that's like, weak. So anyway, yeah. And Jamal has excused absences for personal reasons, but yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Okay. <laughs> the very personal reason of not having a contract. Yeah. Very, very not, true. They should, he should have done the Bobby Wagner thing, which is just show up, but not do anything. I, I, that was I've, so good. I have I've so much respect loved, for that. I've always loved that. He just went to he went to training camp and just stood there with his arms crossed on the sidelines, which is just so awesome. Uh, all right, you guys ready for the big topic of the week, which is uh, we're starting our our division previews this week. So here we go. Uh, division previews. We start in the in the AFC with the East, the AFC least, and uh, yeah, let's start it off with the uh, Buffalo Bills because nobody. Circle the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills last year went 13 and 3. They added Emmanuel Sanders, Forrest Lamp, and General Mitch Trubisky. They uh, lost John Brown, Quentin Jefferson, Ty Nishiki, and they drafted Gregory Rousseau, Carlos Basham Jr., Spence Brown. Seahawks connection. They also brought in Seahawks legend Tyler Hollister. Starts off Eric Jacob Hollister. Jacob Hollister. Why did I say Tyler? Too many Tylers. You wanted to scare me that somehow I'd miss Tyler Lockett who uh, left. No. I was okay, go, <laughs> Eric, 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 uh, do you circle in the wagons for the Bills this year? What do you think? Yeah, I have the, uh, I, I kind of feel dumb leading off of this. I'm going to say it anyway. I have the Bills uh, winning the division again. Big surprise. And it's due in part because although they've missed some pieces, or you know, they've, they've lost some pieces and there will be a little bit of regression. This is a team that should still have zero problems winning the division, especially with, you know, they're in the AFC East, and I'm not going to say they're the new Patriots, but, yeah, they should not have any issues winning this. Uh, I have them at less wins than last year, which uh, I feel like I feel like this this podcast might go a little, uh, little win-heavy, and I may sound stupid, but it's still a really great team. They still have a great quarterback who, honestly, should get better with another year of Stephon Diggs as the number one receiver on this team. Uh, I have the Buffalo Bills at 12 wins this year. 12 wins was their estimated win total last year based on DVOA. They were they were extremely good. I, I can dig it. Um, 12 right. and 5 because numbers are ugly this year. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's I Picking the games, that, I can't tell you how much that bothered me. Oh, okay. Let's just get this. <laughs> let's get this rant off the table then. I when, Okay, so I, we use this app where you pick every game and then it shows you the records. That way the records actually add up correctly. And, we you know, pick every game. Obviously, we tweak it between weeks, so sometimes it might get messed up. But then, but here's the thing. Every time I got to the end of one of these, I was like, ugh, eight and nine, ugh, 11 yes. and six. Like every single time I was just disgusted. By, by the, these new, the first time I did it, I turned it off. I like, <laughs> started over because I, I was bad. I was like, I don't like this. Eric this Rage quit the NFL. <laughs> I it, looks, it looks disgusting. Like I have a team going one in 16, not in this division, but like, ew. like one in 16 is gross. Okay. Um, yeah, it's Houston. <laughs> Just spoiler. Okay. Uh, you could probably figure that out from zero. You say spoiler seconds. work. I say preview. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's there so bad. Okay. Uh, Kevin, you're up. What what do we think about the Buffalo Bills? All right. So the Buffalo Bills, I think the addition of Emmanuel Sanders is a really good one uh, because he offers versatility. If their slot receiver 
who um, doesn't believe in science and medicine ends up, you know, dying, then they have somebody who can take that spot. If hey, he will Davis, die. He already hit a 2% chance to make the NFL. Okay. Well, then doesn't that say the 2% <laughs> things are likely to happen to him? Um, and then Gabriel Davis came out at the end of last season. But if for some reason he takes a little stumble developing into the outside receiver, they think he can be Emmanuel Sanders is your outside receiver is still really good. So I thought that was a really nice addition. They were able to bring back a lot of the key pieces on their offensive line. Bringing back Daryl Williams is good. Um, their pass rush was a bit questionable. So I like adding Gregory Rousseau um, to come in and start kind of learning Dude, behind their, Jerry Hughes. Their first two picks were just like defense, pass rush, pass rush. They're like, we we know this is the, the problem with this team. Yeah, like exactly. They, Boogie Basham for the same reason. And then I think there's a really good chance that AJ Epinesa can take a little bit of a step forward. I don't think he'll ever be a plus pass rusher, but I think he could be more than he was. And so that that's a good thing. So I don't really see them backsliding much, even with some regression from uh, Josh Allen, which is probably pretty likely because that was a really big jump last season. I still think they're going to end up with uh, 13 and four and the division winner. So I have uh, the bills coming in at 10 and seven, and it's mostly oh. based on my expectation that Josh Allen just one. This team is good, but but they're not like the defense is just OK. And I don't think it was like a great defense. And I expect some Josh Allen regression, which any Josh Allen regression is going to make them significantly worse because this team was a really, really, really good offense last year. And so I uh, yeah, my expectation is that is that this team will just come back down to earth a little bit. Not not that they'll be bad. You know, 10 and seven is not not bad or anything, but uh, I have. I could see them, you know, being a little bit better than that. Maybe eleven wins. the The first place schedule thing is a, is a is a problem for me, except for that they get to, uh, you know, it's just I I don't know. I'm not. Yes, the they get to face the South, and the South has the Texans, so that's like a, a free square. But 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 I I'm not a, I'm not just not a not yeah, big. I take that shot. I expect Josh Allen to be just slightly worse, and so that that will make them drop them down a few wins, make them a, a wild card team instead of a division champ for me. So looking at this, I real I don't want to talk all night about the Bills, but Kevin mentioned it is the most. I think it's the most important team in this division. It is. Uh, so. The Dolphins are intriguing, but Emmanuel Sanders. I just at some point that guy's not going to amaze, and I think that might be the year. But between Emmanuel Sanders being on this team and Josh Allen regressing, I mean it's I, a good wide. It's a I good wide know. receiver. I don't core. think you he can has, have both. He's a good. He has good people to throw to. Like the the question is, their run game was really bad last year too. Like they don't have they don't have a guy they can reliably give it to to like run out the clock at the end of the game. And so like they need to keep throwing just to keep playing offense, and that gives Josh Allen more opportunities to make mistakes, which. If he plays mistake free football, like, and he, then he's just going to be great. And like, if if I'm wrong about Josh Allen and he's just exactly what he's last year, this is a 13 or 14 win team. They're that good. Like that, it's all on his shoulders. He is the most important player on his team. And um, yeah. But I mean, I have them going seven and one against losing records and three and six against winning records, which I think says like kind of a lot about how I feel like them. They're a good yeah. team, but but they're going to struggle against other good teams because I think their quarterback is not quite as good. And they have a year of tape to to work with now on him. All right. The Miami Dolphins last year went 10 and six. They added Will Fuller, the fifth. 
Jason McCourty, Matt Scorer. They lost Van- Kyle Van Noy, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Ted Karras. They drafted Jalen Waddell, Jalen Phillips, Javon Holland, Liam Eikenberg, and Hunter Long. Seahawks connection. They also added this offseason Seahawks slot corner legend, Justin Coleman. All right. Uh, first last time, so it's Kevin's turn. Kevin, what do you think about the Miami Dolphins? Uh, Miami Dolphins football team last year was on the verge of the playoffs. Um, in a way, it was kind of added nowhere to a lot of people, though. I think if you watch the way they're building a team, um, it was really a question of coaching. And Brian Flores, I think, showed himself to be a pretty darn good coach. So that's pretty cool. Their wide receiver weapons are um, pretty good. And it's uh, a deeper wide receiver room than you think it is, because you're going to forget that Jakeem Grant exists. And you they can have forget s- that Albert Wilson is a human being. Six guys in this wide receiver room that legitimately would all be the number three wide receiver on the Seahawks. Like they, they are every single guy is good. Like all six of those guys rule. So yeah, yeah I agree. Like, so, uh, so the question is, is Tua going to be incredibly conservative? Like it was last year, at which point it's probably going to put a cap on what their offense can be. Cause it's about whatever wide receivers can do after that. Or is he going to take some shots at which point this could be a really good offense. Um, so the two things I could see holding back the offense are the offensive line. Uh, I would like to see maybe Liam Eikenberg come in and steal one of the guard jobs. Um, Matt Skura is a guy who's been inconsistent throughout his career. Austin yeah, Jackson a, needs to take a step forward. He's kind of a, he's kind of a wash with the guy they lost to, to Ted Karras. Like, yeah, that's exactly. Just, that's just a wash. Yeah, they're kind of fringe starter guys. Like you should feel about them. It, they should feel about them the same way we feel about Arson. It is a very talented young offensive line, and I think bringing in Fluker as like a like a veteran presence to hopefully like stabilize your guys is a is a is a good idea. You know? Yeah, because Fluker could also provide kind of a floor at interior offensive line. Right. So I, I agree. Yeah. yeah, and so then it's like okay, they have enough running backs to assemble a backfield. They've got like four guys who are fine. And then I think they have a good defense. They added a couple of guys that could help improve their pass rush, um, which is clearly the weakness. And so yes. if that pass rush can be even average, I think that because I think Jalen Phillips is the real deal. If he can keep from being injured, I think he's a legitimate um, edge player. And, and their DBs is, are great. They, they don't need him to do anything except rush the passer. Like yep. that, I think they're really setting him up for success. What what you get for record there? Uh, so I have them making the playoffs with a record of eleven and uh, six. Yeah. So uh, I love I love their uh, their team building. I think they're building a really really great team here. I think the Emmanuel Ogba and Jalen Phillips and and these guys, they're, they're really going to have a really super strong defense. And it starts with the corners, right? Byron Jones, Xavier Howard, and they uh, now they have Igbogany and Jason court McCourty. They have a, a deep, strong Coleman. cornerback group. Like this is a cornerback group that really can play. And so I don't know. I kind of, I kind of really like what they've done. They have plenty of weapons for two on offense. So the question just becomes like, can Tua make a little bit of a leap? I don't think he has to be a lot better. Right. Uh, he he doesn't have to be a lot better, but he needs to be better because last year he was just too conservative and, and couldn't push the ball downfield at all. He played like he thought he was Chad Pennington. <laughs> right. And it's like it's like you're better. You're better than that, dude. But yeah, it was definitely Teddy two gloves some, type playing on some level. You know, he, he needs he said this is his first real offseason that he's ever had. Like he get because he's gotten hurt so many times in his college and pro career. And so. You know, That's a good I, sign. I could see a great step up for him this season, 
uh, and then, you know, probably him getting hurt halfway through the season and it being Jacoby Brissett the rest of the way. But I have them at 12 and five. And I really, because I have a lot of faith in Flores and a lot of faith in like the players that they've added. And I think this is a, a, a really like sneaky, a team that's going to sneak up on some people. It, it just, it looks really good on paper. It's all up to two of Tua sucks. They're, they're 10 wins. You know what I mean? They, you drop two, two or more wins off them immediately if he's as bad as, uh, as people seem to think he is. I don't think he's bad. I think he could still have a really great career. I mean, it's just his rookie season. Josh Allen sucked his rookie year too, real bad. So yeah, all right, that's my uh, Dolphins thought. Eric, what do you think? I'll finish up real quick. Uh, I like this team for eleven wins. I had a hard time getting them to twelve, but I I felt like ten was way too little. They have the very stupid record record of eleven and six, but, <laughs> but I also have them in the playoffs. Uh, I think it also is going to come down to how much the running back how the running game can take off of Tua. I I don't know if I trust Tua for a whole season. I do agree with you that he is not he is he is catching so much garbage for nothing. I think he's he had a great rookie year. I, I would say a phenomenal rookie year based on what I thought he would put together. We we get kind of spoiled, right? Like we have yeah. these rookie years that are like the Herbert rookie year. And then it's like it's like if you don't even do that, but we forget how bad some rookie years were not that long ago, right? Like Manning interception record. Well, and then you have like a number one pick in Blake Bortles, which enough said there. It's right. uh Tua Tua does not deserve the hate. Uh, I would buy into the hype of the Miami Dolphins as a playoff team. All right. Uh, next up, the New England Patriots. I wrote down four people they added, but let's be honest. They added like 15 guys. Trent Brown, Jalen Mills, Jonu Smith, Hunter Henry. Uh, they lost Marcus Cannon, Joe Thune, Jason McCourty. Just mentioned him going to the Dolphins. Uh, Seahawks. Oh, they went 7-9 and nine last year. And the Seahawks connection, they have Adrian Colbert. Do you know who that is? He has a talk show on. Um, you know, do you know what? How about this? Do you know what NFL position he played? Cornerback. Yeah, good, good try, Eric, uh, Kevin. You know, you know, you got this one. Uh, I thought he was a safety. He was a safety. All right, cool. Yeah, we he at San Francisco waved him. We picked him up. Then we waved him. Then he's bounced around the league. He's been on Miami, Kansas City, the New York Giants, New and finally now the New England Patriots. Uh, kind of a a journeyman type, but really sticking around for many years, probably a really good special teamer or something. I, I, I don't have f- solid members of him. He did appear in one Seahawks game. So anyway, uh, it's my turn to go first, huh? It is. Oh, yes. oh boy. Okay. So here's the thing. This is a lot of roster turnover. And for anybody else, I would be like, this is too much roster turnover. It's not going to come together. Uh, this is, the, this is uh, going to be kind of a wreck because the, you know, it's, it's, it's too many guys changing teams, right? You got two new tight ends. You've got three new wide receivers. You've got all these defenders uh, coming back or changing. But it's it's Bilicek, and I honestly think that most of the guys they added are good. Like all the guys they added are good at football. So for me personally, I'm I'm really into this. I'm really into what they've done here, and and I think that they'll be good. The Cam Newton thing. It's he looks like a shell of himself, but they're saying he's played really good in in camp, and they have other options, right? Stidham and Jones. If if he falters, that could Is play. Stidham really, an option? They're saying <laughs> that he's in the mix. I'm not. I would say they're going to go to Mac Jones second because, like, why do you draft a first round quarterback if he's not even going to be your backup? But uh, 
but like they are saying he's in the mix. So I don't want to just like take him out. And I, I listen to that coach speak stuff. I'm pretty good at interpreting it. I think he really is in, he's really a part of this situation. They're not going to cut him. They're not going to just put him on the street, but Cam Newton's won the job in camp. He's outperformed Mac Jones, according to like the news reports I'm reading. And that's good. I mean, if he's, if he's healthy and right, and this team is going to around him is much better, right? They had more players lost last year to opt outs and COVID than any other team in the NFL. This is a, this has a chance to be a team that makes a really great leap forward. And that's kind of what I'm predicting. I'm predicting them to go to from seven and nine to 10 and seven. So, that's so great. I'm predicting them to be like a, you know, significant jump forward. And I think there's upside for more this. It's really how healthy the question the question in this division is really about the quarterbacks, like for every team. And for me, it's Cam Newton's shoulder. Like, is can he throw good enough? And does he have the pop in his arm to really make that that push forward that this team needs? Because it's on his, it's on him. And uh, also, he uses weird fonts on Instagram. All right, Eric, what do you think about the New England Patriots? <laughs> well, you know how I feel about Cam Newton, and now Instagram, it's just too much. Uh, <laughs> Here's what I think about the Patriots. Yeah, they had a they had a rough year last year. They have a a team of major leaguers, and by major leaguers I mean it's like the crew from the major league baseball team. Like they have they have some promising young players. That, Is that the parallel to the Washington football team, the this, major league baseball team. Sure, sure. Um, I will say that the the Bill Belichick coaching will still shine through and get this team into a better position than they were last year. But I, I don't see this. I don't see what you pick for the Patriots, Nathan. I, I feel like they, they don't have enough playmakers. I don't believe in Cam Newton and in a world where you can no longer have a 500 football team. I see the new England Patriots at nine and eight. Oh, that's stupid. Eight, eight. Why don't you just go to eight, eight and one? Uh, it's, it's not time. The not ultimate time. five. It's not time to pick a tie. <laughs> Week three of the NFL okay, in, wait, the you said, podcast. Do you mean playmakers on offense or on defense? On offense. Oh, you don't like Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith? I'm like, I'm like into that, like two tight end set. And I, I, I spent a lot of time this, not a lot, too you much, I spent I too much about. time this off season watching videos on my phone of the Patriots when they had Gronkowski and, uh, and, and re- redacted. No, redacted. <laughs> <laughs> and and I and I was like I was like this is pretty cool like I this if they do this this is gonna rule so I, I'm like kind of excited about what they're gonna do with the two tight ends I like Johnny Smith and I you I really like Hunter Henry but you know how I feel about tight ends and playmakers in the same sentence you you got to be like one of three tight ends ever for that all right Kevin what what do you think about the Patriots um so I think one thing that makes me a little bit worried about them offensively I think they did a really good job of handling their offensive line. Um, I should be more worried about it than I am, but they've drafted for it really well in the last few years and set themselves up. And then they made a really nice move to get Trent Brown for peanuts who comes in and helps kind of keep the offensive tackle position stable. And they have Michael and Wayne who can slide over there if needed. Yeah. That's so that's the thing I liked about it. Kevin is exactly what you just said is like, they want, they want could you store or win to, to win that left tackle job. Right. But if they don't, well, we'll just slide Michael and Wenu over it, and then it'll be fine. Like it's such a it's such a blessing to have a guy who had a season like that just like kind of sitting around if you need him, like breaking yeah. case of glass or whatever. And uh, and I like the tight ends they brought in. I think they're both really good players with versatile skill sets. Um, I do worry that they signed 
two wide receivers to pretty decent money contracts and Jacoby Myers might still be their best wide receiver. Like that's problematic. Um, and I think that puts a lot of extra pressure on tight end. But like you said, this is an offense that's schemed around that in the past. So the offense really comes down to, I think Cam Newton's fundamentally broken and can't play a 17 game season. I think that the NFL basically just let bounty gate happen to Cam Newton for the first like eight years of his career. And now he's dead. So mm-hmm. he will not be able to last an entire season, which puts a cap on how well the team can play. I think Mac Jones coming in as a rookie is going to struggle a bit. Um, having a lot of safety valve type players helps, but I don't think that's going to cover it up. I do think the defense is going to show a lot of improvement. They get a few guys back, like getting Dr. Hightower back is really good. Um, I think that their uh, defensive back situation is pretty solid outside of probably slot corner. Um, I do like what they have going on at pass rusher. Get, bring back Kyle Vinoy, uh allows them to see if Chase Winovich can take the job from him or not. I think Ronnie Perkins was a good draft pick. I think Matt Judon is a really good fit for what they like to do. So I think the defense is going to be pretty solid to good. And I think the offense is going to be good for as long as Cam Newton is healthy. I just don't think that's a season. And as much as I don't like predicting things based off of health, I think that's kind of baked into the formula here. So I have them going 10 and seven, which is a considerable upgrade. I just don't think it's where the ceiling of the team should be. Yeah, they could be better than that, but also could be worse. And I mean, here, do you want to, can I get on our, can I do another rant here? I hate when I'm looking at an NFL depth chart and I see uh, outside a uh, linebacker, Matt Judon, number, ni- <laughs> number nine. Oh, I don't mind it. I love it, actually. Ugh, I, hope, so. I hope all defensive linemen <laughs> take single digits just to burn your butt. It's just, it's so <laughs> ugly. Ugh. I, I, Ugh. I don't know. I like the college game, and I think it's kind of fun seeing stuff like that. It's, I want to so see like... a big, fat nose tackle with one. <laughs> what about J- Kevin Jalen? Just the Jaylen. biggest, widest It'll be a hyphen, one. Kevin. <laughs> they signed Jalen Mills, you know, and he's he's wearing two. Yeah. It's like wow, the worst. It's, it's the worst. Okay, uh, so let's go ahead to a team that doesn't have very much number shenanigans uh, on their roster. I, I looked at all of that. Uh, this is the New York Football Jets. Last year they went two and fourteen. They had Corey Davis, Carl Lawson, Sheldon Rankins. They lost Henry Anderson, Brashad Perryman, and Terrell Basham. They drafted uh, Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, Michael Carter, Seahawks connections. I could go with offensive tackle, several George Michael Fant. Carters. I could. Yeah, they drafted two Michael Carters. I'm talking about the running back for this one, though, because I went in draft order. I could That's talk about it's just funnier to be. <laughs> anyway, I could talk about how they have offense. Their right tackle is George Fant, Seahawks right tackle. I could talk about how their coach used to be a defensive quality coordinator for us, Robert Sala. But no, we care about all three phases in the game. And did you guys know that Sam Ficken was a was a guy who got a, a drink of water with the Seahawks? They get weeks had him in 2019. Signed him as a free agent and then waived him before the season started. So yes, yeah, Sam Ficken. That's right. He's trying to win uh, the job against Chris Nagar. Uh, <laughs> Let's avoid SMU. this very well. From S from SMU. That's his name, dude. I can't change his name. Okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, uh, that's this is random round, right? Because it's the last one, and I'll just go first. I think that they're moving in the right direction, but this roster still sucks. Um, I don't love this defense. It, if your best highest paid player is CJ Mosley, and then you have like negative cornerbacks, they're just a year away. They need, they need one more dra- like really good draft. This team's going to be kind of a mess. Uh, I have them at four wins right now. So four and 13, I'm going zero and six in the division. Uh, good things about this team. Their wide receivers, 
room is is deep, but not 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 a lot of high end talent. But I think that you know between Davis, Mims, Crowder, Moore, Cole, like that's a really solid five guys to uh, go with. And Braxton Barrios should be able to round that room out nicely. Uh, Chris Herndon is a good weapon. Uh, their running backs are questionable. P. Ryan Coleman, Carter, and then like I said, I just don't like this defense at all. So yeah, I'm out on the Jets all around. I don't even see them improving that much. Four and thirteen. Uh, Kevin, what do you think? You know, I actually like what they did on offense quite a bit. I think having the pairing of Becton and Vera Tucker on the left side is pretty good. They are they're heavy rumors they're going to be bringing Morgan Moses in to take the right tackle spot, which gives them overall a really solid offensive line, which is something their previous quarterback never had. I agree. I think their wide receiver room has improved quite a bit. Um, if your top four are Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Jamison Crowder and Elijah Moore, and then you have Keelan Cole sitting there, you've got a really good five wide receivers. You just lack a number one. So if Mims can step up, that's great. If he can't, I still think that's an NFL level receiver room. Um, but yeah, their defensive backs, the, their camp are, reports, their camp reports are all like Zach Wilson, the wide receiver he has the best rapport with is Keelan Cole. And I'm like, Denzel Mims hype train is derailed. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it, that's a thing. We're gonna put that bury Denzel Mims in the ground. Like it, it's not. I'm not a huge fan of that that kind of news. It's not super good, but like I think you know Carl Lawson, Quinn, and William Sheldon Rankins. That's a pretty good. Uh, and also, uh, 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 Fatakazi or Fatakazi. I can't remember how you say his name, but their other nose tackle. I think those are three fourths of a good defensive line. I think that. Uh, CJ Mosley will be a really solid player, though having him and Jared Davis on the same linebacking unit is that's a thing you can do. Um, yeah. Also, like I but I worry when I look at a, a defensive back room and I see like, OK, Bryce Hall is probably their most bankable corner. Uh, that, that, that would make me super <laughs> nervous. So I feel like they could very easily be a team that averages like 28 points and averages giving up 35 points. Their safeties are are decent but like they are going to get shredded like yeah anybody who has single coverage is just going to get destroyed yeah marcus may and lamarcus joiner or marcus may and ashton davis maybe joiner can be like a uh slot safety or something like that they could they can roll out a few decent safeties but yeah like corner like i like bryce hall and i like him as a fit to a uh, uh a robert bob solid defense but i just yeah i i really worry they're gonna get passed on pretty hard so I have them improving, and I think their roster is getting a lot better. But they are a season away. They need to add another interior defensive or interior offensive lineman. They need to add some defensive back depth. I'm at five and twelve. I think like if they add like one really, which I think really, five and twelve is a pretty good upgrade though. Yeah, yeah. I'm at four wins. I'm not super far from you. I think if they add one really really good player to this defense, like preferably a pass rusher or a cornerback, they can make the, they can kind of make a leap, like a big yeah, leap, like you know, six or seven wins. In a, in a, but they this they need like this defense is, and then you're you're relying on a rookie quarterback to kind of like carry your whole team. That doesn't ever really happen. Um, I like their coaches, the staff they put together too, though. Eric, what do you think about the Jets? Uh, the Jets have a chance to be fun, which is a huge win for them. They got Robert Saleh, who's uh, should have been the Browns coach. Uh, the Browns are looking okay, but I still think it would have been better for them had they had Robert Saleh. I really like him. I also really like Todd Bowles. And we saw how that worked out for the Jets. So I think the running backs are 
pretty bad. (laughs) I like that they have some talent on the offensive side. Yeah, this defense is bad. I also had them at five and 12 stupid record. I'm this is by the way, every week, every time I list a record, it's going to be a stupid record unless it's maybe the Seahawks. But uh, I have (laughs) the here's the thing about the Jets. They have not been fun for a long time that when they're winning, they look bad when they're losing. They look really bad. I have I have a feeling they're going to be fun to watch. And that's a huge win for the Jets. Five and 12. You're going to the Super Bowl, guys, in my heart. Hang a banner. Uh, Hang a banner. (laughs) All right. Well, there are many ways to support the Seahawks in this podcast. The best way to do so, though, is head to uh patreon.com slash seahawks nest and for as little as a dollar 24 a month get access to our uh, summer off-season content but also this is the good stuff it starts in the regular season our fantasy football and uh jokes podcast that is the fun one you can go back and listen to the old episodes they're all still up there it's a blast uh thank you to andy brett greta james carrie lucas ryan tom emmanuel astro bob casey Floctimus, Foles, jay kieran leon michelle mike and mike richard sam thomas warwolf uh, Brandon and Nick. Thank you guys for supporting the show. I appreciate it. Also, everyone who's given us an iTunes review. I know that is kind of a pain in the butt, but it is definitely helpful to the 142 people who have given us a rating. Uh, really appreciate it. Newest rating, of course, coming from the Mad Hatter 07. Uh, appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. All right. Uh, movies club. It's Father's Day this weekend. And it is long. It is, it is known that my father has a favorite movie. Uh, so we're going to do that one in honor of uh, in honor of my father, the greatest movie of all time, according to John. It is The Matrix. The Eric. Matrix. But 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 <laughs> Nathan, just... is The Matrix as good as The Matrix? No, bro. The Matrix is The Matrix. <laughs> let me just let me just start off here. The reason why I love this movie, it's got Neo. He's the one. That's right in my wheelhouse. Sorry, I just said. <laughs> Okay, so had to go so, full, uh, full all right, we'll stop doing a large number of inside jokes that no one <laughs> in the audience is gonna get. So, Eric, tell yeah. me. Okay, you 1999. Uh, so in 1999, you know, I'm like 13, but you're like 21, 22, right? You're like you're in your early 20s, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm about that age. So, so what, what a, what is it like? Like this movie hits when you're like college aged. What what were you? What what was your like reaction to this movie the first time you saw it in 1999? So being broke, it was definitely one I wanted to see. Where I didn't always see movies. Uh, it was it was you know going out to restaurants and maybe seeing a movie is like the best date possible. Seeing The Matrix, I remember I didn't want to be blown away by anything because. I didn't see it opening weekend. I waited till people talked about it and they're like, oh, it's awesome. And I was like, you know what? I I think some of the camera angles are like gimmicky, but it should be fun. And Keanu Reeves, can this guy really act in all these uh, 21 year old opinions? Not really all that wrong. I I loved it. I was blown away by how much story, the depth of story it had and the depth of of interest that I had in it the scene where you find out what the matrix is and how humans are basically being farmed that blew my mind. The bioelectric stuff. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is like, this is kind of smart. This is cool. Spoilers. Uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we're spoiling. We're spoiling. 21 movie. Year old 22, movie. 22 year old movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie could buy its own drink. Yes. Yeah. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sold on the entire cast. You know, like a lot of people love Morpheus. A lot of people love Trinity. 
I loved Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, and I loved all the bit players in it. And of course, uh, Hugo Weaving is uh, Agent Smith. So what's you know what's crazy about this is that like a bunch of people turned down the Neo role, right? Will Smith famously turned it around to make yes. Wild Wild West. Uh, Good call. Uh, but but also uh, Nicolas Cage turned it down. Brad Pitt and Val Kilmer both turned it down. The studio wanted oh, Keanu wow. Reeves, and the Wachowskis wanted Johnny Depp. And they let them both kind of read for it. And the studio's pick of Keanu Reeves, they were like, that's the that's the guy. That's the guy we need to pick. And I have to say, that's I agree. One. I have to agree with you, Eric. It is an incredible piece of casting. Because at the time, there is no reason to give Keanu Reeves a role like this. Right? Like he played the some of the roles he played prior to this, you would just you would not be like, Oh yeah, that guy is going to be a huge like, yeah, he's in speed, but like in speed, do you really buy him as like this, like super action star? No, it's like, he's kind of like, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like, he really was perfect for this. They really nailed the casting and it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, a weird cast at the time. So right. I want to push back on you a little bit. I what? feel like uh, seeing speed and Johnny Mnemonic before Matrix, I feel like it actually sets up a casting that makes the character a specific thing because the whole thing is uh, Keanu Reeves is buyable in an action sequence, but at, especially at the time as kind of like the reluctant action hero, I thought he was a really good cast, which yeah, if you think about the way the movie lays out with that hot open and everything, he ends up being the reluctant action hero. And so I think he, really brings out that side of the role in a way that a lot of other actors wouldn't have been able to. Yeah. That's what I was kind of going towards is that like, he's, he's kind of perfect for what they wanted to do. Even if he's not a traditional, like, although now he is a traditional action star, right? We've that's like Bruce him. Willis and Die We've Hard. all seen John Wick, but like he, he wasn't a traditional action star at the time. And this kind of uh, was, he was perfect for this role though. All right. Um, let's go, let's go through. Um, can we, can we do like our favorite scenes and then, and then maybe like, talk about each one yeah i think okay the best scene in the movie is when neo and and trinity are going uh in the helicopter to save morpheus one because i think like it's so cool because morpheus he's going back in because the oracle told him he's not the one right and he's like i gotta i gotta save i gotta save morpheus because yeah, it confuses you when you're watching the movie, right? But then you're like, oh, Morpheus gets it because he tell Morpheus just tells you. Morpheus is cool in this movie because he just tells you what the, what you should be thinking. Like, like, yeah, yeah, like, it's it's a great way of uh, de- uh, giving Deus you a Ex person. Morpheus. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of like playing a first person shooter. He's the character who actually knows what's going on, and you're playing through the eyes of Keanu Reeves, who has no idea what the hell's happening. So, a really good job of using that storytelling trope in a very effective way. But they they go in to save him because Neo's like, I gotta save him. He, I'm not the one, and I gotta save this guy so he can find the one because he's the guy that's gonna find the one, right? And so he goes in, you know, and and he's in the they they're in the helicopter and they they chain gun out the the agents, right? They use like a machine gun or whatever. And then Morpheus is in that chair and he's like, get up, get up, you know. And then he like gets up and he he breaks the chains, you know. And then he jumps, and then. He Neo, he realizes he's not going to make it, right? So he jumps out of the plane or the helicopter with that that chain thing around his waist or whatever. He's got that like the guide, and then it's so sweet when he, when he catches him, and then he the plane gets shot, and so he has to uh, 
he then decides he's going to like pull the helicopter back up with his arms. You know, he like wraps the thing like I'm going to pull this whole helicopter up. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter. And you can just see the face of Lawrence, Lawrence Fishburne right there. And he's just like, bro, this is it, man. I found this dude. Look at what he's doing now. <laughs> like it's it's. He's, this guy's going to be the guy that saves the world. And I don't know. There's just something like so cool about that scene because it combines all of the elements of the movie that I like, which are like that, like hopeful, like, cause I'm like a g- generically very like hopeful person. Uh, and so like, I um, mean, I see like the good and everything in that, like hopeful nature of Morpheus, just like continually seeking and believing, you know, and then, and then, uh, like Neo starting to like find himself, you know, that like coming of age aspect of this movie. And then of course there's action in this sequence too, right? With the super sweet, like chain gunning and, and Carrie Ann Moss, like jumping out of the helicopter and shooting. Well, the sprinklers the going and the way they do that with yeah, the side yeah. panning scene that, when he's running. That scene. Yeah. And they show from the other room, you know, yeah. the agent trying to shoot him through the wall. Like there's just so everything many, about really cool decisions. camera work. Yes. Everything about this scene just like works and encapsulates the movie in such a way that I think it, if you like never seen this movie, you could just watch this one scene. I think it would give you a good idea what you're in for. It's not the best action sequence of the movie. I'm a hundred percent sure someone else is going to pick that. And I can't wait if to talk not, about we'll it. If not, we'll all talk about it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, but like that, that scene I think is my favorite scene in the, in the movie. So um, Eric, what's your favorite scene? In oh, the- real quick. Can I say something about your scene? Yeah, go for it. Um, I think that the coolest thing about your scene is that I think it achieves what the last scene with Trinity does where Trinity is, you know, you, you know, you have to be the one um, and like, you're supposed to have that emotional moment there. But I, I feel like you get it beforehand with, uh, with Morpheus, with Lawrence Fishburne and the way that he's reacting. Um, just when you said that, I, I, I feel like you nailed what that scene does really well, which is it's the moment where you know, the way the movie's going to end from that moment out, if you hadn't figured it out already. And it does it in a way that, doesn't feel like too obvious or anything it just feels right and it's just so cool like they're like we 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 came in to get morpheus and fight these agents you know and like yeah and morpheus just gets to be like proud papa (laughs) we got out like they're they they're like all the and the, the coolest thing is too is that like everyone else is starting to see neo is the one but he hasn't fully accepted it yet right like he hasn't figured it out totally all right eric go ahead what's your okay so uh i'm gonna quick hit you with three because they're minor scenes Uh, And I can talk fast. So one is what I alluded to earlier, the fetus farms, Mm -hmm. where you see the real world that blew me away. And it it put the movie into a just a different world of the world it belonged in that Uh, shot where the shot where Morpheus spins the battery. Yeah, dude, that's the that's that's my my stuff right there, dude. That is that is that that slaps. Uh, Yes. Anyway, great sci fi moment. Next (laughs) next moment is when you find out who the the traitor is. And that's when uh, uh, I had to look this up. Cipher, played by uh, Joey Pants, uh, Joe Pantoliano, and he's he's with Agent Smith, and he's eating a steak, and he's like, "I don't know what I'm eating, but uh, you're making it taste like the most delicious steak I've ever had, and I appreciate it." Like it was, I felt like that was it was funny. It's the it's the reverse of tasty wheat. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> another great mo- ma- and, another great Matrix thing. But and those two scenes uh, coming close together like that too as a parallel is great. But t- it's t- tasty wheat. It's tasty wheat. Uh, also, we don't know what tasty wheat tastes like, Eric. It's the ultimate sellout. What Maybe that's why everything tastes sellout. like chicken. 
Yeah, yeah he's quite plug possible. Me plug me back in. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's he's selling out just to get a better experience. And you have to ask yourself, would you do that? I thought that was such a, a smart, pivotal scene. It was kind of heartbreaking because I love Joy Pants. Uh, the best scene, though, that I, I wonder if this is what we're all going to touch on, is the moment when Neo discovers that he is the one and he starts blocking everything Agent Smith is throwing at him just on autopilot. I thought that was so cool. That was something that they didn't show in any trailer. There was no spoiler for it, and it blew me away. It was the moment in the movie where I nodded and was like, yeah. And when where he stops, I, when he stops the bullets with his hands. Yeah, he's yeah, just like, cool. you know, autopilot, not even looking. Yeah, Manipulating cool. the Matrix completely, yeah. All right, uh, Kevin, what's your favorite scene in the movie? All right, so... Um, a lot of scenes I wasn't expecting were picked. And yeah. so I'm going to start with my uh, my scene that I had from the beginning because it is my favorite thing. And that is, I love the open of this movie when he gets the call in his office. Mm-hmm. And, that- and he's being coached on the cell phone and he's trying to make it through. And you get this really intense scene where he doesn't quite know what's going on. And you're trying to piece the pieces together at the same time. And uh, it's just, it's really uh, an intense hot open and he fails. And that moment of failure at the end of the open. And you're seeing that like, what is this going to be? Couple, couple things out that scene too. That phone that he has was so like high tech seeming at the time. (laughs) Now it looks like, now it looks like garbage. Such a brick. Um, And then, uh, the the way that Angel Smith like closes his mouth with, with that thing, and then that yes, the uh, Twilight Zone pr- callback, pretty yes. crazy. And then the the uh, with that little spider thing that goes in his mouth too, or his belly button. Oh well, yeah, scary. and then you get when Still it gets sucked out later on, and so and like that's the moment that it clicks for him is such a good moment. Mm-hmm. So I I feel like there's kind of three sequences that um are kind of my landmarks in the movie. One is that that's the moment where uh the adventure really starts, even though it technically starts in the limo. That's the moment where he's in because as soon as he gets the call from Morpheus, it's got to go down a path from there. The second one is when he, for when he, when his doubt really sets in and that is the subway fight with um, agent Smith. And Mm -hmm. I, I feel like the, that whole scene is excellent because you get that sense like, oh, this is when he finds out. He's able to hold his own in this fight. He looks like such a badass. And then he gets worked. And then he barely makes it out. And then an unfazed Agent Smith gets to run off the subway at the end. And you're like, how do you even defeat this? It's completely impossible. So then you get to the end sequence. And then that's, uh, let's all go ahead and talk about the sequence we knew we were going to talk about, yeah, which well, is then- the elevator. <laughs> And the when lobby he, scene. It, it's so cool too when he says, I need guns, lots of guns. <laughs> yes. And then all those like <laughs> rows of guns come in. And then uh yeah, and then they go they 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 have all the just the metal the detector part, is he walks through that metal detector. <laughs> exactly. And then that so guy's good. just like, Holy shit, you know, and then he's pulling out all the guns. They just got so many guns and it's just it's insane. That scene is nuts. Uh, that, really that crazy. Puts and, all the great parts of a video game, dropping weapons and just grabbing another one because it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it ends with something really like really unique at the time, which is that bullet time sequence where he's on the roof and he's dodging the bullets and it's really slow and it pans around. And that was like really high tech at the time. Now it people would be like, okay. <laughs> but like at the time, that was some, that was really cool. Oh man, no, everyone talked about it for a year afterwards. That was the that's the reason we get bullet time in video games is because everyone wanted to be Neo in the Matrix. 
Yeah, yeah it's cool. It's really cool. Um, and uh, one thing I'll say about this movie, other thing is, is I watched it pretty recently, and this movie one thousand percent holds up. There's not any. There's nothing about this movie that doesn't hold up. It's one hundred percent good. You can watch it today. It is just as good as it was. Uh, it deserved all the Academy Awards. It won visual effects, uh, editing, sound, sound editing. I think it should have been. Pre- this is a really good script too. Yeah. Like it's a really good script. Uh, now let's talk about the rest of the trilogy because I think you'd need to like just at least touch on it. Ugh, I think that the yeah, action sequences in the second movie lived up to the. I mean, some of the effects aren't as good as they don't hold up as much, but the but the actual action sequences in the second movie are good. The plot is a thing, and then the third movie I felt like they did do better with the plot. They made it start to make more sense. But uh, the action wasn't as as good as the second movie. I feel like there was a, a way they could have stuck the landing on this trilogy. And instead they made like a 10, uh, a 7, and a 6. You know, well, you and know the what I mean? other like, two movies were kind of rushed and really close together. They both got released really close together. Yeah, Were they and filmed at the same time? underbaked. Yeah, and so Not as good as The Matrix. They are making a fourth nope. Matrix film. It is coming December twenty second, twenty twenty one. It's on the calendar. And I'll uh, watch Keanu it. Reeves, Keanu Reeves will return to play Neo. Carrie Ann Moss will return as Trinity. Jada Pinkett Smith will return as Niobe. Um, and then there's a bunch of people in here: uh, Yahel Abdul Mateen, Neil Patrick Harris. Uh, and the machines, Chopra, are, machines and humans are all friends now, so we'll see what's. Yeah, so we'll, I'm I'm excited to see what is uh what's going to happen here you know what is the what is the play where's the matrix going yeah, what Here's story what, needs to be told there are rumors okay there is a f- so if you don't want to hear a Ma- matrix 4 rumor turn off the podcast now it's over this is the last I'm thing we'll talk out. about yeah <laughs> uh, it, it, no it's not spoiler it's spoiler free oh okay okay basically what the, there's a guy he's a he's a he lives in la and he goes to test screenings and he posts them on his anonymous twitter account like what he says and he's he's been proven pretty reliable in the past. He's seen, uh, he, the first movie he posted about was the new Godzilla movie, Godzilla versus Kong. And everything he said came true. So now at this point, like people are like, okay, this must be like a real dude. His, he will not give any plot details of the matrix, but what he will say, he says the action sequences hold up, but this movie will divide people, which makes me think that it's going to be closer to matrix two than any of the other movies. Uh, because that, that movie is a divider. I think like some people really think yes. that movie is like smart and it, or saying something. And it's, I think it's just kind of nonsense. It's the movie's kind of nonsense, but it has great action sequences. My problem with the matrix two and three is what I said about the matrix one, about how there were all these great scenes that you didn't see in the trailer. Everything cool from matrix two and three, I felt were in the trailer. Yeah. There's nothing super cool. Like, Oh, I'm glad I stuck around for that. It was just waiting for the next action scene. I mean, okay, here's the thing. Matrix Reloaded and Matrix Revolutions, they came out in the same year. And yeah, like I just felt like they were like, hey, let's put the rest of this trilogy. Let's get it done. And I don't know, like I said, they're, both those movies are like threes. You know, they're, they're not... Okay, how much you enjoy the action sequences of two is going to be... Can you overcome how nonsense the plot is? I don't know. That's a fair question to ask. And the third movie is... It's fine. It's it's not like a horror movie, but like there's not a great action sequence in that movie like there is in the first two movies. You know, I don't know. They're both like two and a halfs or threes. It's, uh, I I heard someone say something about this, and I think it's like really printed. The third they said the third Matrix movie is a hundred and fifty million dollar B movie. 
And I think that like, <laughs> wow, like the Wachowskis have done this multiple times. Like Jupiter Ascending is another example where they made like a $150 million B movie like that. I don't or know. I like to call it must love dogs. Sci-fi edition. I, I love Jupiter <laughs> Ascending, but it's bad. Like, I oh, yes, that's, admit, that's exactly it's, correct. It's a horrible movie, but it's it was fun. It's fun. It's to amazing. Watch. I make myself watch it. Uh, oh, man, you got to watch the Queen of the Bees fight dude, space court in order to legislate against space vampires. You <laughs> should, to be honest with you, Eric, we should we should all watch it together because I think you will laugh really hard. Like, okay. Yes. Is, you know how I love bad movies. So it's that if, kind of movie. if you are still listening, you need to grab some adult beverages and a couple of friends who like to make fun of movies and watch Jupiter Ascending because it is made for that. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. All right, for Eric, for Kevin, we will see you guys next week and go Hawks.